Hey everyone, happy to have you here for another episode of Legacy Matters. Today, as usual, we will talk about whatever comes up with a slight leaning toward discussions of preserving your legacy, preparing for things to come, and sharing stories we find amusing. All right, Jimmy. All right, here we are, Legacy Matters. Welcome to Legacy Matters. Yep, world it's, headquarters. The It's Sam and Jim today. Sarah is out. Yep. Thanks, as always, for tuning in <laughs> i know i don't just stop it no, okay I can't. just you, let me you say it, it. I no like i do let you say it, it. i let I you like say, to it. say it it's because i'm so old and i like to say you know oh we're tuning in i know? just get this i just it's like it's the beginning of every show you. is the same uh, i know I no know. no it's fine it's totally it fine I, I love it okay i do think it's funny that little jimmy on the radio dial tuning in his podcast but yeah um, well, guess what? You know, what? We, our stereo here in the studio also is tuning. You know, it's a classic stereo receiver. Oh, yeah. You, it's not digital. No. Huh. It's not quartz digital. It's the real deal. It's, yep. You got to yep. sit there and whoop. And it's sensitive. You, it still picks up AM. Yes. Too. Yeah, well, <laughs> of course it does. Right. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Um, what can we say this time? Because we always kind of say the same thing. Like, just, just jump into it, you know? Let's... Well, share our stuff on social media, if you would. That's that's always a really nice thing. I don't know. Like, I'm not terribly good at that, but throw no, our episodes around a little bit so people find it. Oh, yeah. Like your favorite episode. Share yeah. Favorite do that. Episode. Yes, of course. Yeah. All, right. All right. We can't forget the weather. Weather today. Another. We're still in November. And... Uh, <laughs> Late afternoon, and it's actually quite nice out today. It's nice. What? It's, well, yeah. I mean, it's a little. No, nah, it's think pretty it's nice. A, it's yeah, pretty, it's nice. pretty right. nice out today, and right. uh, you know, not too cold, no. not too warm, just right. <laughs> okay, it sounds good. Yeah. All right, we've got a guest. I'm going to let you introduce the All guest. All right. So today we are here with Paul Odegaard. So welcome, Paul. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks yeah. for coming in. Happy to be here. <laughs> yeah. So, Paul, before we start recording, it seems like we have a lot in common. I mean, we've only known you for like eight minutes, and, yeah. and you and already all... gave us all your best material before we started recording. <laughs> I sell out early. I try not to make it hard. <laughs> it's all yeah, downhill. but I can't believe, you know, we were talking about, like, I can't believe how small this town is and, and how many connections we all have. Yeah. So, so, Molly so, Maher, yeah. uh, Mayor, excuse me. Because uh, she corrected me on that one. It's Maher if you're from Elk River. Well, let's, let's do it this way. Paul, you came in, and, and so you're at the Minneapolis Foundation, but you're also a musician. Yeah, uh, I've sort of worn this dual hat for most of my life where uh, I have been a person that's worked in philanthropy and in the world of creativity in some way. Um, so by day, I've held uh, jobs at Yamamoto Moss, at McAllister College, which is my alma mater, at Minnesota Public Radio and American Public Media as a gift officer, and now at the Minneapolis Foundation, um, the through point of my life is during all those times I was playing in bands around town, uh, doing session work, collaborating with musicians, and so I've sort of run in these two different um, worlds uh, my so, entire life. So, despite not looking it, are you telling me that you're like 50, 80 years old? Uh, like that? No, no. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't say that I do look like it based on the amount of sleep I get from week to week. But uh, uh, no, I'm 37. I uh, grew, up, grew up in the Twin Cities, uh, grew up in uh, New Brighton. Uh, my parents had a dental practice in downtown Minneapolis for a long okay. time. My mom's a hygienist. My dad uh, was a dentist. So, they, they built mm. their life sort of in town here. And um, I've stayed around, always had great opportunities and, and built good friendships and have good family connections so i love this area i love i love the region yeah yeah so, we certainly love minnesota we don't tell people that we love minnesota but we love it yeah it's great right it's we don't want well, riffraff i don't know what that means <laughs> yeah i Prince don't know quote. What that, I, yeah, I, no idea you, you don't want people he gave me the look here. he's like don't sam yeah, yeah i yeah. Uh, i no, i that's actually terrible uh we we want people good people to move here we do but, yeah. I do, but and we've met great people that have moved here. Yeah, no, it's just like we feel like it's our little gem. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Right? But, but anyway, so born and raised. Uh, so, what did you play? What do you play? I play trumpet professionally. Okay. Um, that's the instrument. Uh, so, I uh, in, in college studied communications and media studies and music. Um, I've always been a very serious trumpet player. Like started when I was eight years old. Played my first. Uh, professional gig with uh, the Flames big band when I was 14 at the old hotel Sofitel uh, with my dad who as I mentioned is a was Dennis by day trumpet player by night still runs his own big band that I'll play in uh, from time to time including 
on December 6th upcoming for a holiday show. Uh, and then... Where do they play? Wh- yeah. Wh- uh, the Bloomington Event Center. So okay. uh, they play all over town. They play public parks, the Harriet Band Shell, wherever. But um, they have a regular monthly gig at the Bloomington Event Center, which used to be the Bloomington Knights of Columbus. That's right next to um, 494 in between like REI and the BMW oh, Mini yeah. Shop. Oh, sure. Yep. So is this like, uh, like the ballroom... Uh, it's a in, big band. Yeah, but in right. uh, what's the movie I'm trying to think of? With nobody puts baby in the corner. Dirty Dancing. Is it like that kind of? It's like uh, 40s, 50s, 60s big bands. Yeah, like yeah. 17 that's, pieces, that's a vocal quartet for my dad's band. Um, a lot of the original arrangements, like not watered down things that like a high school jazz band would get, but like the original arrangement that was put on the record in 1942 or whatever. Awesome. This, that, or the other. So it's really a bunch of um, excellent players, uh, guys that have played you know, professionally along with having their own other side gigs, whatever they are, right. for years and years and years. So, it's so really you're playing band. in that every now and then. Yep, playing in you, that. And you were saying the Belfast Cowboys, right? Uh, so I've or, known Terry, or Terry. Uh, yeah. Walls for a long time. I've never played with the Cowboys. I have jammed with Terry and the band, um, uh, but I've never actually sat in with them. But I do uh, love Terry, and I love Jim, and I love Tim. They're trumpet players, a really nice guy. So I have a lot of love <laughs> for all sorts of people. But uh, the other groups I play in regularly, um, I released a record this year with John Swardson. Uh, John Swardson and Bad Blood, uh, that came out in August and had a, we had a lot of fun releasing that at the Turf Club. Um, we've been working together, sort of. We built it off of a duo sound of a trumpet uh, and a singer-songwriter, a guitar player, and sort of um, extracting all the moodiness we could out of kind of presenting um, really thoughtful, simple arrangements. So I work with that band. I also... Uh, I am a member of the Katie Vernon band. So Katie released a record in March. She's a ukulele. Uh, I met her. British expat. She, I would uh, go on the record here nominating Katie to be a great person to speak to sometime. Yeah. Um, yeah. I talked to her at uh, Dan Israel's opening at his oh, show. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I was there too. And I, I, I was the trumpet player in Dan's record. I oh, teach his no son shit. trumpet lessons. So uh, I'm... <laughs> Out, I'm out and about in the world doing <laughs> well, stuff. Well, wait a minute now. So, you know, we have all kinds of guests on the show, and we've had a lot of musical guests. Yeah. And I really was sort of impressed with, with Jim here. I thought he got us, like, a full-on suit. You know, like, oh, I, thought, yeah. no. I thought we were getting a, a full... I can wear like, that city. hat, too, if you like. Because uh, <laughs> I, I am. I mean, I, not that I am. Like, I've been in all the... I, I would love to go into the professional stuff I've done and the background of what the Minneapolis Foundation does, uh, where I'm a philanthropic advisor by, by day, but I also... This is a whole I mean, this is like a super combo. <laughs> I, I mean, know, you're really... really is. That's I mean, really it's awesome. so cool. Yeah, so that's that's kind of me. Uh, I, I married my wife, Christine Soma, as an architect. Uh, with Pope Architects, and I have uh, two little kiddos, a kindergartner that's yeah, in, yeah. Uh, uh, at Pike Lake uh, Kindergarten Center, okay. and uh, my little guy is three and a half. So I've got uh, a three and a half year old. Yeah, so that's that's most yeah, of yeah. my life. Um, when so, I'm not somewhere else, I am chasing them around or trying to make them laugh. Is right. Yeah. So when you were growing up, I mean, so with your dad, I mean, did he? He obviously got you into the music. Yeah, you know, I always had a natural inclination. Um, I remember being. You know, those earliest memories being three, four years old, and he was practicing. Like in our right. house, he's down in, in his uh, study, um, which also he had like his, his dental work office there too. Uh, it wasn't where he was office, but it was where he did lab work and he did crowns sure. and, oh, sure. and stuff like that. Sure. So that was his kind of room, and uh, he used to practice, and I would wander down there. Interested what instrument stuff. does he? Trumpet. Okay, also. so trumpet yeah. as well. Um, and so I would. You know, sooner or later you want to go sit on dad's lap or you want to go sit next to him and just look at it. Sooner or later he lets you make a big elephant-like sound into the horn and you don't know what you're doing. And then, you know, as I got big enough, I have uh, an older brother uh, who's two years older and a younger sister. Well, my older brother was, uh, you know, in fifth grade, I was in third grade. He was ready to join the band and I was like, why can't I join the band? (laughs) Right. I want to play something. Uh, They knew I had an interest in the trumpet because of my dad. Uh, so my dad said, all right, well, let's go. We'll go see Mr. T, Dan Tetzloff, who was a legendary longtime music educator uh, in Minneapolis uh, going back 50-plus years. And um, he, was, he was a dear friend of my dad's. And we went over there, and we sat on the ground and learned how to breathe by taking balloons and showing how your lungs work with the trumpet. Ah, and sure. Okay. Um, sure. Cool. And so cool. Uh, I, I really... From that point on, the trumpet has been one of my loves and my passions. It's right. a thing that I've done... Everywhere 
forever. Um, and so you played with Molly, and you played, and and you're playing trumpet and all yeah. those things. That's all. Yeah. So. And yeah, you, you've got the whole list. I mean, you know, it's a good, good crowd. I mean, yeah. it's like every, that's what's so funny. I mean, it's like half of our people that. Oh have my come god! In. I've been. I spent half the day emailing all of these people <laughs> and and all of their friends because we we kind of went through this past week and asked our our past guests to give us recommendations for for new shows. Yeah, yeah. Not that I mean, we're booked out with at least a show yeah. a week until like oh, April. April. Yeah. But <laughs> but we want to we'll put more in whatever. <laughs> Jim and I especially love this. Uh but yeah, I mean there's uh th- this town, there's so much musical talent here and so many artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a great yeah. it's a great area and I think that we're fortunate that that people can live in places where there's enough support for what they're doing where they can yeah. get by. There's enough nope. community where artists can collaborate together. There are enough spaces where artists can make things together or have spaces where they can create. Uh, it's nice that, uh, though, it's escalating in a way that people can still afford rents so they can stay in the places right. they are creating, which is a really, I think, important um, yeah, that's thing to consider. potentially out of control around here. Yeah, though. Gonna... Uh, potentially, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's definitely you know a booming city right now, right. I would say. Yeah, it, so, it definitely is. Yeah, it really feels... So, all right. It's moving so, fast. So yeah, I mean you you've definitely got the balance here, you know. I mean, you know, total musician, you know, at night and then and then so here's a question. So Sam and I have been wondering, like what exactly is the Minneapolis Foundation? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh well, I am happy uh, happy you asked and, and proud to to be here kind of representing the foundation as well. So the Minneapolis Foundation uh is a community foundation. It was founded in 1915. It's the second oldest community foundation in the US. Um, and the first is Cleveland. Um, the foundation was founded, like a lot of community foundations are, are what would inspired it was um, individuals that were doing well in the community wanting to put um, private resources to public good. So that's mm-hmm. as simple a philosophy as we try to frame it as. Sure. The foundation exists to, to maximize um, public good by utilizing donors' resources and our own resources and trying to channel them um, to organizations and causes and issues to make this community a better place. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that's why we're talking to RT. Uh, well, in a couple yeah. of weeks because right. because we have parts of what we're doing that we're trying to put for community use and yeah. community good. Yeah, so. that's great. Yeah, yeah. Well, we didn't. Is RT coming on the show? No, it's just a phone call. Okay, not yet. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, we'll, that's right. He might be one to sure. Well, yeah. now we have a we have an insider. <laughs> yeah, <Right. laughs> you can trumpet that down the hall a little oh, bit. Oh God, <laughs> nice, nice. Oh, yeah. Now I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. Wow, um, that one was tough. <laughs> uh, no, that's true though, I, it, because we really, really did not understand the exact. It's sort of like this mysterious. Yeah, it's giant in the cities in a way. And that's a really great opportunity for us to tell our story more effectively and yeah. to tell it in ways that are relevant to the general population. Um, historically, what the foundation has done is as they've received funds um, over time, uh, you know, the foundation has about $900 million in assets under management um, between um, a couple specific foundations. Um, donor advised funds, mm-hmm. and then the collective endowed resource that we have, the resources that we have. And so the foundation um, sends out about $7 million annually into this community, into this region, right. uh, to nonprofits. And so nonprofits know us very well. Sure. I think the general public does not always know right. exactly what we do or how to get in touch. Yeah, it seems almost like a club or yeah, something. It, you yeah, know? like the Minneapolis Foundation, like, oh, it's is that cocktail in? You know? yeah. Is that like a... <laughs> like we have cocktail like, parties. We have parties in the living probably there's rooms, a big band playing there, yeah, too. There may be it from time to time. <laughs> you know? uh, but but there are also... Uh, it's it's really so much more than that. It's really about yeah. connecting a community of donors and um, engaging them and pre- presenting them with ideas and inspiration mm-hmm. and issues that, that deserve attention. Um, so, so the foundation puts out about seven million dollars annually, and the donors that we we work with collectively put out about seventy five million dollars last okay. year. Okay. So, in total, the foundation um, um, granted out about eighty two, eighty three million dollars. Oh um, yeah, in the last fiscal a, year that we had. So, wow, um, that's to nonprofits yeah. both here and nationally. So it's any five hundred one c three sure in the U S. Okay, um, but our specific resources go to help right. things in the state and in sure. this region. 
So very cool. Yeah, I, I had no idea. I, neither did I. So how do you get into that? Yeah. I mean, so, how do you? How do you? How have you navigated all this? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Uh, so I've, I've spent um, most of my professional life um, in the world of philanthropy uh, and into the world of giving. So I spent two years right out of college uh, working for Yamamoto Moss, a brand and creative agency yep. um, over in the warehouse district. And I was hired um, there as an intern and then moved into a contractor and then became a full-time employee. Um, and I kind of worked at the intersection of business development um, and brand strategy and mm-hmm. how to sort of um, maybe bring in a new client, learn about them quickly, and then look for ways to adjacently position. Sort of tell their story the better. Ag- yeah, tell their story better than, and then help the agency position itself to acquire other future donors that would help kind of extend a line of business in a certain way. Right. Okay. So it was a little bit strategic in that way, but a lot of the skills I was using um, – became really applicable to fundraising. And I was in a meeting one day um, with a large uh, healthcare entity that wanted to work on branding a um, specific product that I thought really was pretty predatory towards younger people. It was in the Mm -hmm. early, early days before everything had converted into an HSA um, to have this very, what I thought, extremely risky structure for an HSA that I thought if any young person... Oh, a health savings account. Ah, I knew. So, yeah. like, in the <laughs> I, days I before, <laughs> in the days when uh, before most primary employers would, you know, pay for your health insurance right. for a matter. So as they started to switch over to now, you pay a little and we pay a little, and now you pay a lot. So that was like the HSA yep. end of it. But you pay as much as you want, but you have the risk and you have a deductible that's annual. I don't want to get into that drug, but I do want to talk about. <laughs> yeah. I, I like talking about it. Yeah, no, but no, those no, are the days good. of like yeah. uh, of. Coverage that basically didn't cover you. You were yeah. buying something. <laughs> yeah. But but when push came to shove, yeah. and you it needed just to fell apart. It's 2005, yeah. 2006, and and I was in these conversations, and I was like, if I if I go sledding this weekend with my friends, yep. and I happen to get an ankle stuck and break an ankle, yep. for a lot of people, this would this would make them broke. Yeah. And so yeah. I was like, why would I want to help somebody sell this sort of thing to right. younger people? And so I kind of. Politely, you know, we, we ended up getting that business. I politely left that meeting and thought, I don't think I want to help these people do, do this. that. Yeah. And so I need to think about my own mission orientation and what that means. Where do where can I find meaningful work that's not that? Well, it just so happens that a friend of mine that was at McAllister um, saw me at a, an event and said, hey, we just posted a job for the annual fund. Would you ever want to get into fundraising? And I thought okay, that involves a lot of things I kind of do already. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's go check it out. I was ready for some growth. I had some great bosses and, and collaborators at Yamamoto, so that was a hard thing to leave, but I was ready I mean, for that must different. have been a hard decision. I mean, you're sitting there, and, you know, you need a job. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you're like, yeah. Well, but I'm, he's being offered but at a the job same at another place, so it's not like you left for, to not have a job. Yeah, I was right. just but I was still, getting ready to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yep. I mean, it's always hard to it's yeah. always hard to know when to jump when, ship or when to yeah. you know yeah. make a shift or whatever you want to do. Yeah, and so I, I I said yes. I sent in a resume, and two weeks later I was hired, and off it went. So I started this career uh, as an associate director of uh, McAllister's annual fund, and I worked with young alumni and teaching about philanthropy and. Uh, recruiting volunteers and working with them to sort of help their peers be more philanthropic. And then uh, after about five years of that, um, I thought I was ready for some more growth. And as I learned about the nonprofit world, mm-hmm. I uh, was thinking about, okay, how, if I could see myself in the future leading or helping to lead a nonprofit's development uh, you know, machine, yep. how how would I get there and what do I need to do next and how do I fill out my skill set? And so I got a little bit wonky about the sorts of pieces I thought I would need. At the same time, uh, I had, at, around the end of that five years, I'd asked and, and been interviewed by NPR for a position. I um, was initially uh, turned down, but they said, stay in touch. We're working on something. Just stay in touch. They created a position uh, called called Plan Giving Officer. Uh, they were basically building out their major in plan giving team. And um, a former wonderful colleague of mine, Deborah Hansen, said, stay in touch. Um, she hired me basically for my marketing expertise to build out NPR's plan giving marketing awesome. stuff. So I've been thinking about legacy related things yeah. for 
a long time and how they pertain <laughs> to giving. Speaking our language here. Yeah, this is good completely. stuff. And so uh, I spent seven years at NPR growing as a major in plan giving officer and helping to um, grow the program I was uh partnering with somebody else to, to really expand and, and make more mature and, and helping people realize that an organization they've cared a lot about for a long time could be a part of their own legacies. And so that was most of our message. And after about seven years there, I was at a, a large public campaign launch for NPR, and I was seated at a table with some donors, and I was seated right next to R.T. Ryback. Oh, and uh, R.T. Ryback is the CEO of the Minneapolis Foundation, and he basically peppered me with questions for two and a half hours um and he's a very uh curious person and he has a lot of energy and so that was a very fast-paced conversation in between program and dinner and things right and at the end of the day the next day i sent a note saying you know really appreciated your leadership of the city um thanks so much for coming and and best wishes to you and i just left it at that and two and a half months later he called me out of the blue and said minneapolis foundation has posted a position that you should apply for and the first thing I thought was, why is R.T. Ryback leaving me voicemails? The second thing I was like, <laughs> am I ready? I was right in the heart of NPR, APM's um, sort of national fundraising campaign, a $75 million campaign. And I was sort of on the front lines of that, working on really um, important and large gifts to help fund new work. And I had not prepared myself to be ready to leave at that point. Sure. But the opportunity came, and my own... Um, esteem and knowledge of the foundation kind of compelled me to after hemming and hawing for a few weeks rewriting a resume and submitting it and yep. off it went and so now i've been there uh, just about a year and a half and it's been a really um an eye-opening super fun engaging meaningful experience because the foundation is so committed to helping people um and so committed to issues around educational disparities um they're really involved in uh, census-related work and civic engagement work right now that I think is super important for making sure people are represented in democracy and represented uh, for folks to know who they're legislating for. Um, we also do a ton of work around uh, the economic vitality of this region and making sure people are ready for jobs and making sure the workforce is ready to adapt for, for where it's going for future success and stability. And what we want to see is for all parts of this region to thrive and all people to have opportunity. So we yeah. spend every day... Um, you know, we all wear different uh, hats in the foundation. Um, I work on the donor side of things, but we have a remarkable community impact team. We have a remarkable grants administration team and really uh, seasoned leadership. And so every day it's fun to go to work with these people and just figure out how we can try to make things better, how we can help donors be more efficient, more uh, thoughtful, more engaged, how we can think about helping nonprofits tell their stories, how we can think about lifting up sort of all boats in a way. Yeah. So it's, it's fun, meaningful work. Yeah. That sounds very rewarding. <laughs> it really does. Well, I certainly have a clearer picture now and how much more important the Minneapolis Foundation <laughs> is. Yeah, I mean it's a uh, it, but it's hard to it's hard to understand because yeah. Typically individuals connect with us if they want to learn more about uh, their own giving. They want to maybe consider starting a donor advised fund. They want to consider like, oh, I have this I'm thinking about getting into starting my own foundation. How do I go about this? How do I do this? Um, could you help? Or sometimes they'll call and say, I have this foundation and now I I need some help because I don't have another generation to help me figure it out. Could you sure. help me uh -huh. be my partner or, or work through those scenarios? And so we're, we're sort of, that's how individuals usually get to us unless they're working for a nonprofit or they're um, the beneficiary of some program that's received funds that's helped them. Sure. So it's not always, um, a lot of our, the people that come to us come through the referral of a friend or a estate planning lawyer or mm. a financial planner or maybe a wealth planner in some of those cases. We sort of work with people on a lot of different spectrums. The foundation is not just in place for um, the very top earners. We try to now be a, we try to be a, an entity that's important for donors of sort of all across the scale of where they are to help them make important gifts. And we're just sort of shifting into a phase where, we are now becoming more of a public donor option too. You wouldn't usually give to a foundation, just here's a gift for your community fund. Most people don't give that way, but right. we're sort of positioning ourselves to help tackle some of the most um, pressing and important issues in this community with a fund we created for the public called the One Minneapolis Fund. And it's sort of reactive to how do we 
pull on a bunch of different levers to address one specific issue. So in this past year, it's been related to housing and um, the various ways that housing has become such a major issue in this area and how... Um, is this like affordable housing? Or yeah, well, it's not. We, yeah, I mean, we're giving to some affordable housing entities. We're also working to to help align nonprofits and and entities because if you have a mental health issue or you have a substance issue or you have an abuse issue or whatever, sometimes you don't have all the resources you need to acquire stable housing, and so you right. stay in situation. So we're trying to work on those sorts of issues. That's, um, that's something Chris Coleman was talking and about. And alignment, too. Yeah. alignment is really important. And and, and Chris and Habitat does a great. Yeah. Remarkable job of that as well. They're a great place. It sounds like there's a lot of recognition of some problems in housing and some, yeah. and people doing some work to try and figure yeah. out. Yeah, and I, you know, I think the city of Minneapolis is also at least, you know, for for Minneapolis specifically, you know, I think they're working diligently all the ways they know how to try to help accelerate change because they realize that this area needs to be able to attract all sorts of people to live and work and to raise families and to be part of the Yeah, and I'll just say it. I think that uh, the general public, it often doesn't really recognize that in the background people are trying to tackle some of these issues. Yeah. You know, it's more like it's easier to uh, complain about the city and the efforts and, yeah. and say that well, things... Yeah, you can't actually see it, you know, necessarily. Know. You know, you don't see... A sign that says maybe thanks to the <laughs> Minneapolis Foundation this was developed. I don't, or maybe you do, and maybe I just don't see it. You know, but well, but it's hard to grasp that physical part of it yeah. sometimes. And the issues are so broad and so you <clears throat> yeah. know so big that it, like and you can't turn is... around and fix it all overnight. No. So right, you know, it's it's like no one likes to watch a slow moving ship or whatever like that yeah. the yeah. levers of policy take a little time sometimes to be implemented and take effect yeah um you know the the philanthropic resources might go out into the community and they take a little time to make the change that doesn't mean the change isn't happening it's just you may not it's always not see overnight it in yeah. real time yeah so do you see like more people getting engaged with you as time you know has this been a forward motion here in the twin cities absolutely uh the foundation is growing uh really substantially in the last five years. Um, and it's for a number of reasons. Um, one is the ease of which, you know, if, if you talk to anybody that kind of makes some gifts, all of a sudden they'll look down and they'll say, gosh, I'm getting letters from 40 nonprofits and every yeah. year I got to go track all my receipts and every year I got it. So one of the values we add is efficiency. One of the values we add is sort of being an effective tour guide. Like, tell me about you and the sorts of things you care about. Oh, do you know about this organization? Do you know about that organization? We can extend value to them to help them sort of get centered around what it is they want to achieve mm -hmm. with their philanthropic dollars. And um, that's a kind of a differentiator sure. for us. The other thing, I mean, just structurally, the tax law changes from a few years ago with raised uh, deductibility um, thresholds and things like that have people, I think, reconsidering how it is they give or, or how they track what they give. And, um, for someone uh, now, it may make a lot of sense to sort of front load a couple of years of donations, if you can afford it, into something like a donor-advised fund, and then kind of give it out over time um, to achieve that level of deductibility that it matters for you. Sure. And then you sort of go down below it, and you mm. give for a couple of years, then you come back up, back to I it think, again. I so think if you're sort of noticing the the... Uh, blankness on it's yeah. because this is not our it's world. A, it's a way different, right. and that's, like, and that's <laughs> a very specific but, thing. But, but, but yeah. you've no, done it's a pretty good, good job. Like I, I can almost understand it. Like yeah. I think I, I think I'm getting it. That's We're not going to quiz me, but no. you know. Uh, well, I think it's because we've always been the recipients of people's money, not the. the Givers of well, money. you know, yeah. I mean, <laughs> like as an artist, I'll get a grant here and there. Yeah, you know, yeah, I mean? absolutely. But, yeah. but uh, you know, I get it. I mean, and and that's what I'm. But I'm, you know, just wondering, like, if you know, as the city grows, you know, are more people showing up too? Yeah, I mean, and, we're in the middle of strategic planning right now at the foundation um, because we want to make sure we are um, approachable for all sorts of different folks to show up and try to get involved right. in a way that's meaningful for them. Yeah. Um, sometimes that's by giving, you know, to one of our general funds that we're going to redirect into the community. Sometimes it's by just learning more as a donor. Sometimes it's by connecting at an event and sort of setting your horizon on what it is you want to do. Sometimes it's by like routing your estate gift stuff through us because mm -hmm. we can effectively 
manage that over time um, with some flexibility. So, yeah. yeah, in a lot of different ways we're growing. It's fun. Right. Very, very cool. Um, well, when we're, we'll take a little break. Yeah. Uh, and when we come back, we won't grill you so hard on the uh, business <laughs> stuff. We'll <laughs> Keep on going. I'm loving it. I'm happy to, happy to be grilled. All right. We'll All take right. a quick break. Today's show is brought to you by the Andalin app, a first-of-its-kind digital legacy preservation app that allows you to digitally attach photos, videos, and audio recordings to the places and objects you love. Imagine hearing your grandmother's voice telling the stories of your family heirlooms. Preserve your memories, prepare for the future, and share with those you love. Andolin, available in the App Store and Google Play. Visit andolin.app for more information. Need some help with a construction project? Looking for thoughtful design and honest answers about what is possible and what is not? Kinetic Design Build is a full-service boutique modeler servicing residential and commercial clients in the Twin Cities. Design and build with purpose. Visit kineticdesignbuild.com to request a consultation. Packing for a trip? Let Pack Simply give you a little help by delivering travel-safe products directly to your door in an airport security-safe pouch. Unbelievably easy and surprisingly simple. Make your life easier. Visit packsimply.com. Interested in art? James Holmberg is both an artist and an art consultant. His strong connections in the Minnesota art world give him a unique perspective on the talented pool of artists from our region. Let James guide you to an original work that will come alive in your home. Visit jamesholmberg.com to find out more. All right. Do you want to go on a wilderness adventure with me, Sam? Or maybe you know a group of kids who could benefit from an extended break from their electronics. Or maybe you just need a break from those kids. Visit earthedfound.org for more information about how to get started. For information about becoming a sponsor of Legacy Matters, please visit LegacyMattersPodcast.com. Okay. All right, then. Okay, we're back. We're back. Paul Odegaard. Welcome, Paul. Hi. (laughs) Still great to be here. (laughs) It's fun taking a break, isn't Uh, it? Yeah. It was a good break. It was a great break. I I got some tea. That was nice. Yeah. Very nice. (laughs) Yeah. So so during this break, I was kind of asking a few things, but now I've changed my question a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Change your mind. But, you know, like, so most of the people that are your donors, you know, are they they lifelong Minnesotans or are, are you getting people that have kind of moved here and then become yeah, you know that, sort of that donor that's a great question our donors um i have a colleague who's been at the foundation 19 years eric and he'll say every donor or donor family is just one it's, so every experience is a little bit different um there's no need to be tethered to this region some folks maybe had families that were here that were really successful and then everybody spread out across the country because of uh, jobs or schooling right. or whatever. We have other folks that um, were, you know, really lovely, committed community members that have been here, you know, moved here, grew up here, and have lived here their whole lives. And at some point, it made sense for them to connect with the foundation and uh, start a fund and to use that as their main charitable vehicle to sort of distribute their resources in the ways they see fit. And so it's really customizable. Uh, We have folks from all sorts of different backgrounds. We have really any sort of permutation of connection to this place. Mm -hmm. Um, People get in touch with us. Mm -hmm. And so it, 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 there's no uh, permanent factor. Yeah. Now that, now that we're the uh, tech hub of the Midwest, is that, (laughs) is that going to help us all out? You know, we work really, um, we actually have worked really closely with some entrepreneurs in the tech space because as they get to, um, places where they're positioning themselves for exit or they're thinking about um, what they want to do next or how philanthropy can play a role. Um, We're a really natural partner and we're uh, we're also an entity that's really adept at partnering with a donor with like a weird asset, like Mm. interest in a company that they've helped create Ah, or uh, my cabin up over there. And so we we are... um, we have a ton of experience 
In fact, I'm in like three conversations right now um, with some folks that are trying to work through the mechanics of what this um, unusual piece of pie they're interested in carving off for for their philanthropy is. And there are a lot of procedural and legal related steps or vetting that need to happen in those arenas. But uh, we work really closely with some of those folks. So absolutely, yes. Do you know my buddy Claire Topp? At Dorsey, I um I do know of Claire and some other lovely folks at Dorsey. Uh, I'm not really name I shouldn't really go. I, know, I figured though, I love. I Claire. mean, for for professional folks, I can talk about who I know. I shouldn't really oh, talk about donor oh. folks. No, no, right. no, 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 right. no. That's no. just I just yeah. wonder because when I started my nonprofit, uh, she's like, you know, you got to be really careful, like taking gifts or yeah know, there are, there are rules and IRS yeah. pays very close attention and uh, not that anyone's given me anything filing audits and all <laughs> right. sorts of those sorts you know how he backpedaled yeah. right away yeah. not that anyone's given me anything. well yeah. no they haven't i mean i, I, I have been so quiet about <laughs> yeah. it you know but someday yeah it's a someday. world people aren't always prepared for when they start a nonprofit or think they want to get in to that work for some reason yeah. like nonprofits have business conforming rules that the IRS oh, is paying attention to just like yep. any other entity right. Yeah. Uh, the status doesn't get them to put on their blinders. You have to really fulfill obligations and do what you're setting out to do with a lot of... Tra- in fact, in many cases, much more transparency in certain yeah. ways. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so, why I brought up Claire's, just because she's yeah. a, a genius at the stuff. But yeah. Right. yeah, that's that's her job. But anyway, what else we got going on, Jimmy? Yeah, fire away. Sorry. Well, yeah, yeah. well Sorry. we're going to switch this now, Paul. So, you know, obviously you're a musician, so I can't really say what do you do for fun because that's our thing. Like, what else do you do? Like, yeah. you know, but, yeah. but you know, are you composing your own stuff? Oh, yeah. So uh, that's a great question. Um, oftentimes, I, when I'm asked to go and work on somebody's record, somebody calls me or emails me or sends me a message through an whatever app, Facebook yep. or whatever, anything else, they'll say, hey, um, I have a song. I can picture horns on it. And then my next question is, well, do you have a part or do you? would you like me to create? I mean, I can right. play, but I also have a music theory background. I can write I can write with you in the studio. I can just go there and bring you a couple options and we can build do you, off. Do you get sort of excited when, when, oh, yeah. you, when you ask that question? Like, do you, do you have it or, or do I get to make no, it? No, and that's, that's yeah. the most enjoyable part. I mean, I think you know, if there's anything I want to be known for, it's being a, like a really joyful collaborator that people want to work with that that people get energy from that people feel inspired by and so i love to that's typically how i compose now i'll do things um you know around church related music or things like that if i'm playing you know if somebody asks me for something or there's not something that exists i will scribble out sure parts um and right. i and i create and compose real-time horn arrangements all the time um i haven't like written a suite or anything of that scale yeah. in some time but I could it's just usually I'm right. applying it did to you say you played on Dan's album yeah I've played on Dan's last four records now <laughs> uh, Dan Israel's last four <laughs> records because uh, yeah. he is prolific about he is prolific uh, on the on the latest album I'm on I was on the lead single Be My Girl so those are my okay. <laughs> horn parts on that single uh, the one before that I was on a song um, called uh, Make This Life Mine which I think is a really remarkable uh, production that Dave Russ did with Dan. Um, and then uh, I've been on a, the ones before that too, Live On, uh, as he was going uh, through some of his most harrowing stuff. Um, yeah, so, yeah. That's I very cool. Yeah. And it's, so oftentimes people will just have me show up. Sometimes they'll give it to me in advance. Sometimes it'll be like a live, go and create in the studio, compose right here, right now, right. let's go. And so I go in, just try to be present in... in um, be a good conduit and interpreter of what it is they're giving me. And my goal always is not to write for myself, but to lift up whatever it is I'm working on. See, it's, it's so interesting. I asked that question because, you know, I see this connection between the, the musician and, you know, your day yeah. and night, you know, yeah. even in, in how you, uh, you know, sort of look at even the job at the yeah. Minneapolis foundation, you know, it's like this building of this competition, uh, uh, composure, you know what I mean? Com- composition, what am I to say? <laughs> composition. Yeah. Oh my God, the coffee. Yeah. Oh, I love it. What am I trying to say, Sam? So where, where in the, where in the hierarchy yes. or the does does a trumpet player fall? Because every, you know, everybody knows. <laughs> everybody knows the lead singer is, yeah. you know, and especially if you can play guitar and sing, right? That's yeah. sort of like the. Yeah. That's the, what Dan that's was saying. Spot. It's hard. Though sometimes, 
Well, yeah, 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 totally. It's nice to have someone else playing guitar next to you just so right. you can yeah. slough off for a minute. Yeah, I think is what he said. But uh, and then the what is the the bass player or the drummer? Who's after that? And then where? Yeah, so I, you know, I, I'm definitely like the fringe on your vest or the icing on the cake or your sequence in a lot of band composition scenarios, especially around, you know, uh, the broad umbrella of pop music that you could fit anything contemporary under. Um, you know, I think the one of the most um, interesting, compelling things that I've worked on recently, I mentioned at the beginning, was um, the John Swartz and Bad Blood record, and that record. The trumpet is really the lead melodic line going against these songs and and compositions. And so I'm the one trying to create a memorable hook with John, but there's not a lead guitar in those songs. The lead voice, the lead melodic voice is my voice. And so that's... But you don't get the credit, do you? Well, in that band, I kind of do, uh, you know, uh, but... Those jerks take it all, don't they? But but it's not really to me about... Credit. I mean, oh, I want to have a really not. good. I want to have a good creative about, reputation and community. Yeah. I want to yep. be. Um, I feel like I'm a person that tries to bring a lot of joy and love and light to places. I want to feel like people know that I'm bringing that. Yeah. That I'm bringing respect and and right. kindness and a sort of attitude that says, you know, like that that um, improv attitude where you're saying yes and as opposed to, but what about this way or what about so right. I, I like to be um, somebody that people can call if they want to have something be elevated in some way or be more depressing. Like there's right. a guy I've worked with named David <laughs> Allen, right? David Allen is out of, um, he's out of Ground Forks and he's a, a really beautiful um, kind of country Americana writer. And I've done uh, um, uh, some great work on his records. I feel like it's great work. Uh, uh, with Mark with <laughs> You Mark really Stocker did grow up in Minnesota. Of Underwood write. Studios. And, and so like David writes these beautiful songs Sometimes about how things are falling apart or how people are falling apart, and in some of those, you know, I've I things I've created on a whim became sort of like brass chorale stuff on a kind of country song where somebody is like going into their descent, you right. know, and it's like what I want to do is elevate the moment that he's created um, and the song he's created, and that might not be like the happiest thing, but when no, you hear but- that, I want it to hit you. Like right. a ton of bricks emotionally, and I want you to feel like it takes you somewhere else. So, like you know, if I were playing in a jazz combo, boy, I'd want to be front and center. You know, like who do you who's the chief of this band? Well, I want you to be looking <laughs> towards me. But e- even more than that, I want to just be seen as somebody that is fun to play with, that's yeah. fun to create with, um, that doesn't diminish and that brings a lot of a lot of energy. And like in another band, uh, the Katie Vernon band. I mean, that's a really unique. Um, band with like Clay Williams on twangy guitar, Simon Husband's playing these cool British uh, pop synth keyboard things, uh, really great bass and drum player Reed Pagel and uh, Chris McAtee on the drums, and then Katie's playing ukulele and she's a British expat that's a beautiful writer about some really emotional experiences she's been through and she's just a great observer of emotion. And on those things, I can, on that whole record, that's like one of the first records I've worked on where I've really been... Um, thought of as a part of a band not just a person that's on for a session but as a as a band where my voice is sort of in this stew of all these things that are happening and so you get these moments of sort of triumph and you get these moments of muted trumpet and it's all to really be part of the whole thing and how it's communicating and so those sorts of um creative collaborations are really um fun and inspiring for me what did you uh grow up listening to (laughs) Uh, you know, it depends on who I was with, really, in the family. Like, you think yeah. about how any of us gain our artistic appreciation or our openness or even our willingness to yeah. listen, right? Um, I had uh, my dad, who was really rooted in this big band sound and some classic jazz. So I heard a lot of that growing up. And a lot of that stuff is certainly of an era, right? That was the pop yeah. music of kind of the 30s through oh, the 50s, was, like before yep. it really turned to rock and roll. Yeah. And so it has a place in the lexicon of the whole musical history of the U.S. Um, that is really interesting and takes actually an incredibly deft uh, skill in arranging and writing to make all these pieces uh, come together. So I heard a lot of that, and I think that certainly influenced how I hear and think about harmony and making harmony-related things. Um and also about, you know, all these, uh, how, you know, if you ever 
like see an interview with Paul McCartney or somebody like he'll reference like one of his favorite songs being cheek to cheek right and he'll right. sing it like I think I've seen yeah. him sing it on Colbert or something like so there's there's moments of that music that are so well crafted and were so pertinent to like their parents at that time that you know there there's I feel like I have a good knowledge of that but I also grew up with a ton of rock and roll and pop music I had an uncle that was um, worked as a DJ and in radio and had TV shows and stuff. And he was sort of like my, his name's Mark Zelenovich. Was uh, he here too? Yep, he was here. Okay. Um, and he was sort of, uh, you know, the the guy that pushed me to like, go listen to the Stones. Let's go to this concert. Let's go here. Right. Um, he's the one that actually ended up introducing me to Molly Mayer um, because he had friends at Willie's Guitars who were playing with her. And then, okay. you know, I had this musical background and he, said, you know, my uncle, my, my uh, nephew plays horns. You guys should meet my nephew. So I went down to Nye's one night, and they said, did you bring your horn? Sit in. Let's go. And it was sort of like a trial by fire. And so, like, I all sorts of classic um, American, you know, rock, uh, pop, folk, uh, you know, I've, I've gravitated towards all of it over that time. And then um, because I was a trumpet player predominantly, you know, I did all those classical things throughout my life of, you know, honor bands and all state band and university right. of Minnesota, like all, so I have that classical background too, which will come out in my playing, but I, I feel really fortunate, um, that I was just pushed to be curious and, and exposed to a whole lot of things. Right. Um, I do think I was really lucky that I think some of the great, great music, um, that was made, you know, in the... 60s 70s i was exposed to a lot of that and that right. certainly helped me make what i what i am today but i also um you know what another thing i try to push against if somebody asks me to come in is is um as politely as i would push but uh, <laughs> but i was you know somebody says i really want it like you know i want you to play this horn part like the horn part on happy and like I, what, what i want to do is always try to bring something that's authentic that's not a knockoff that's right. not a parody of something that's yeah, not you want to want it to be yours too. yeah yeah, yeah and exactly. I, what i really want it to be is theirs like yeah. they might be writing a song that might sound like one of the great classic rock writers but what i want to do is provide it with something that is theirs right um, and mine too but i'm not i'm trying to be there for them sure i'm not really being there for myself yep. yeah are there um are there opportunities for Trump players to to put out like their own album? Oh yeah, you know, you know I, does that happen? Oh, it, it it totally could. You know, I have a um, uh, uh, my daughter was in daycare with a lovely girl named Maya, and Maya's dad is Zach Harris, who runs uh, Shifting Paradigm Records. He's uh, one of the lead jazz guitarists in the Twin Cities. He has that record label that puts out all sorts of jazz stuff. So if I wanted awesome. to go make a record, I would maybe go and record it, and then bring it to him to say. Here is this something you'd want to be interested right. in putting out? Um, and that's one place I would go right. yeah. for it. I mean, you could self-publish like anybody does in these yeah, days sure. and era. Yeah. Um, if I thought it was uh, of a level, and I hoped it would be of a level that would um, need some support, then I would go through his channel because I think he's really well-connected mm -hmm. in this community and also is connected into the jazz community nationally. So Awesome. Yeah, that's a so, random answer. but <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, so, so if that were the case... You would have other pieces playing with you, though, right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I would. I would. <laughs> so is it like? So would you just make music that's that's trumpet forward or something, and then? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I guess I haven't gone there because I haven't gone to that space to create. And if I, I went think there, you have to go there. I would jump <laughs> in. You know, I mean, to be honest with you, I have a crazy idea uh, ah. to like write and arrange. Uh, you know, like ten new big. 10 classic songs, mm -hmm. but for big band, because I think, you know, with the air of folks that have loved and um, really had big band as their music, a lot of those folks are getting to a point where they're passing away. Yeah. And so the, the demand for consumption of that music, you know, is shifting. And so I, I think the art form itself is still a really energizing, vibrant art form to hear live. Like if you go oh, and you hear it, it's, live it, is amazing. And so, well, I think one of the things is that, people of, of um, various younger generations, wherever you want to slot yourself into, I'll call myself an old millennial at, at 37, but kind of on the cusp, you know, they maybe haven't had great exposure to the art form. So what I was thinking about is a way to get people to understand and recognize its values to create 
some contemporary big pan arrangements from songs that people know that can demonstrate mm. the value and the power of the art form. Like in my head for a long time, I actually have most of it written in my head. I need to work with a friend of mine named Jack Gillespie who's in his 80s who has been like a arranger and producer out in Vegas but lives here in town and has played in big bands with me. I want to go sit with Jack a bunch of weekends uh, and create, uh, like I would love to do a big band arrangement of I Will Dare. Uh-huh. Like something like, like that, it. right? Yeah. Like I can, I've already taken apart the parts and where they want to go in my head and I think like, <laughs> okay, you love the replacements. Have you heard them like this? You know, like, right. you know, have you... You know, Paul Westberg's a great writer because he makes songs that could be timeless and interpreted in almost any format. So here's one way. Like, enjoy that. And that's kind of where I'd want to go. I, I, I love that. I think you better get after it. <laughs> yeah. So are you, are your kids, I mean, how, how are you? Do you I, ever see them? Yeah. yeah. No, I, you know what? <laughs> it sounds like you're out all the time. going to go at. Well, I mean, I'm really you know, blessed. Uh, I mean, are you playing? I mean, you must be playing at, at home, obviously. Yeah. I mean, what's yeah. that? Weekends, I mean, are the neighbors able to hear you too? Uh, so, uh, yeah, <laughs> I at hope. Least no. the, at least it's not the bagpipes. I mean, no, yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> yeah, like, so if you're wondering how music works in my house, I'll, I'll, so, um, because it's not a quiet thing. Yeah, like, and it's I, not like a guitar. That, you know, even if you plug it in, you can kind of turn it down or put headphones on. Yeah, I mean, it's not. It doesn't really. work No, it doesn't that way. work that way. So I have a really wonderful uh, practice mute uh, that cuts down the frequency substantially. Um, it doesn't impede the airflow too much, so I can do a lot of playing after my kids go to bed. I do uh, I do some session work at like 9.30 at night. I do a lot of like my own practice. Like you, gotta, you, go, you go home and record or s- sessions? Or I'll, no, I'll go to a studio. I'll You'll say, go to a studio? Yeah. yeah. Really? Say, Will you let me work late? Or do you work late is question one. If you don't yeah. work late, I'll figure something else out. But if you do work late, can I come at like 9, 9.30 after I get my kids to bed and I'll work as late as you want? And yeah. So I'll do that. Um, if I'm just playing in the house, like yeah. I, you know, I have a few uh, rooms in my house that I can go to. I can close a few doors, create, you know, a lot of things to mute the sound. But that practice mute will swallow up a lot of it, so I can stay in shape and I can stay active right. and I can keep my mind engaged on the things I'm working about. And then, and then, you know, if they're not home, then I can let it rip. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Then the uh, neighbors are like, Paul's yeah. at it. You yeah, know? He's not wearing pants. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're not yeah. home. He's playing. Why the would I? I'm not home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're Stop just... looking at my windows. Uh, no, um, <laughs> no, I, it's, uh, yeah. so, so that's one thing, you know, and I, I also, you know, it's, it's a great, um, it's a great joy to play with them. You know, like we yeah. have a, I have a piano, uh, I just I moved in August um, from South Minneapolis to a home in Roseville that my wife and I love, and we have an upright piano now because we have room for an upright piano. My daughter is taking piano lessons at six um, uh, over at Sarah Jane's. Music Where were you School. in South? Uh, right by the Riverview Theater, 40th Avenue and 30th oh, yeah. Street. Okay. Um, yeah. So uh, I was there for ten years, and, and nice now area. just into this uh, into this new home, and so um, there's a little bit more space, and so we have an upright piano. My daughter's taking piano. My son loves to go bang on it. My son loves to sit on my lap and, and blow the trumpet like I did yeah. at that age. I can yeah, that's it. kind of was one. Oh, you get a you know. tear in your eye. Oh yeah, yeah, man, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. it's uh, you know, I, uh, a few weeks ago I was playing at at um, the church I attend. And in the postlude, he ran up to me. He was so excited. He basically <laughs> tackled me while I was playing. Aww, <laughs> so like that is he, they have the enthusiasm for it. They're both um, they're both uh, enthusiastic listeners, and I have to like convince them sometimes they want to hear like what I've done. Like the, it, I'll, yeah. I'll have a record in the car that I'm listening to because something I've recorded, somebody's given me a copy of, and I just want to like check in on it right. leading up to a show or whatever. Right. And they'll want to hear it, and then they'll start asking for the songs I'm on, and I'll be wanting to listen <laughs> to something else. And they'll be like, "No, Dad, play this one." And yeah. It's like, "Oh, well, all right." <laughs> if I must, this is kind of no. I mean, I, like, I try not to go to like, you know, what I want is for them to to want to engage in music joyfully the way that I gravitate yeah. towards it. And it's like at that I, point, it's not. I mean, I think with anybody that's that has a child, at some point, you get to the the realization that's not about you anymore. And so you no. you need to, and that you don't need to. But I feel like I want to encourage their enthusiasm right. for anything. Um, and so if it's, it's me, well, that's totally really fair. sweet and it's cheesy and it's, I try not to look like a total, um, okay. you know, narcissist <laughs> if somebody gets in my car and my own records playing. <laughs> right. like, well, so this, yeah. it, I, yeah. so Chris Coleman talked about the fact that I, I just keep bringing him up because of the bagpipes, but he talked a lot about the bagpipes Yeah, and, uh, we've had so many musicians on 
And a common theme, you know, I won't name names, but a common theme is it's tough to make a living as yeah. a musician. But according to Coleman, uh, it's not tough to make a living if you're a bagpipe player. And I wonder if that sounds like it might be a little bit true of trumpet playing, too. Like, all these people who are musicians and go out and play, they do it for free most of the time. I, I don't know. close if, to it. I don't know if they do it for free, but you are not... Um, it would be lovely if all musicians and artists were compensated for the hours they've put in to get to the point where they're well. I'd like to creating. see that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. sitting here with an artist. That is not always the case. There are not always budgets that support it. Um, I'm fortunate. But you get to like breeze in and do your thing, and you probably get paid for it. I, I yeah. I mean, if if you are the, I guess that's like the defining factor for me. Not to get super businessy about it, but. If you're asking me to put something on your record, mm-hmm. then I'm going to ask oh, yeah. you for, of course. for yeah. something because yeah. there's time. Yeah, and there's right. time and there's my creative input yep. and energy that goes into that. And and I will be creating and, and be doing things regardless of whether you're paying me or not. But right. for, for me to be taken away from my own things or my family or Fair whatever. Enough. Yep. You know, I, right. And, I'm gonna, and I, th- I also hope that I'm going to do it at a level... That yeah, that it's going to really push yeah, you a, to a oh for sure place. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yep. well your enthusiasm for it and your joy for it is yeah. uh, apparent thanks yeah yeah what's yeah. the wind told I like to play <laughs> <laughs> I, I dabble yeah I dabble <laughs> so, in that you know yeah a little bit here and I there play the horns a little bit yeah. so you play any other instruments uh yeah actually I not not at a publicly professional level but growing up. Um, I started on piano. My parents wanted me to learn on piano before I started playing the trumpet for reading music purposes yeah. and just for the tactile thing. So um, did that for a while, started playing trumpet and slowly walked away from the piano. But in, in college when I was getting my minor, I had to pass piano proficiency test. So I started taking lessons again. So okay. I could, like, if I needed right. to, I could sight read a hymn slowly or I could do it. So I've used that for, for composition for a long time to check voicings and to think about how things will lay. Yep. Um, so I wouldn't, I'm not at all a piano player, but I could play things on the piano. Can, um, you, can you play fun things on the piano? Like, like do you ever pl- sit and play the piano and people stand around and sing songs and stuff like that? I, you know, I, actually it's happened once or twice, but I, I, I just, I'm not it, that good. No, I mean, like I, I was in, I was at a family member's house, uh, extended family in California, and they wanted to jam. And so that's what happened and ultimately, but that's not, I wouldn't say I'm at that level. I actually probably, um, part of the reason I got to meet and start working with Molly, I went actually after college to take guitar lessons from John Eller, who's a remarkable uh, human being, one of my favorite people to collaborate with. And John leads the David Bowie tribute every show at First Avenue uh-huh. and uh, is uh, the Tuesday night piano player at Nyes and uh, led a band called Paradox. That was a really successful metal band in the yep. 80s. And so I know. Like, I know. Oh, well, that's, you're talking his yeah, language. So like, yeah, so like John, I took guitar lessons from John because as I, I, I always kind of wanted to learn because guitar looks cool. Yeah, yeah, uh, right? yeah. <laughs> like, but, and, and like a lot of the music that I love that I would gravitate towards too is, is guitar driven. So I sure. thought just as a musician who's curious right. and try to learn this, I took lessons from John uh, for, for some years uh, and so I could competently be your rhythm guitarist in the background. Oh, wow. If you want, nobody That's asked cool. me to do that, but like, right. if, if there are special events or things I've worked on over time. Like, NPR APM used to have like a cabaret, and so they'd like, let's put together a goofy song or a thing. And so, like, I would go and be the comp player. Okay, for that stuff. So oh, nice. I feel Trumpet's like, pretty cool, too, though. I like it. It stands you know, out. It's <laughs> yeah. totally cool. I mean, I mean everyone loves I mean, you're. You, you demand the attention when you when you finally get in that sweet spot. Yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everyone's like, "Whoa!" <laughs> and it's a really. I mean, I think you know. I think the a lot of people think about like the high energy seventeen year old boy in their their concert band playing loud brass stuff. And I think sure. what and that's like their initial like, or maybe right. that's their frame of reference initially for trumpet. So I have I feel really fortunate that sometimes when people hear me play, they'll say, "I didn't think a trumpet could sound exactly." like that right sound so soft or sound so right and so i really take a lot of pride in being able to to control the instrument and try to provide a unique voice that speaks with it um that touches people God, i did not know we were going to get into this this is this i mean is kind of open this i just is, keep on going no it's great i mean the passion and the i mean it's just it's really fun to learn 
about something. Well, it's cool. I mean, it's you have a really nice balance, you know? I mean, I, I really can see how each inform you know, the music informs sort of what you're passionate about yeah. with the philanthropy, you yeah. know? Yeah. I mean, I can see that sort of composition. Yeah. <laughs> you got it's it. the coffee. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's fun. I've had the wrong mix of coffee here. Yeah. <laughs> too too yeah. little coffee in you in the afternoon. Too much and then too little. Oh, yes. too much will screw you up too. Yes, yeah. it yeah. will. Uh, so what uh, what sort of uh, other activities, not not maybe outside of music, but places you love, things things here you want to talk about cities. here in the Twin Cities? Yeah, yeah. what are your favorite Special Twin gems? Cities? Oh, gosh. Um, that is a really great question. So I, um, for <laughs> whatever my favorite gems in the Twin Cities. I love the Riverview Theater. Yeah. My old neighborhood. That's close um, to where I live. So I love, I'm Lake Nokomis, and okay. we, hit, we hit that up pretty, yeah. pretty regularly. Um, I just love that as a community gathering space. I love Mother Earth Garden right there as well. Um, especially when they're starting to get their Christmas trees in this time of year. Uh, um, I really love just being out like in nature or being active uh, for a long time. Um, the other thing I did as a serious passion, I, I played baseball growing up very seriously, like played okay. baseball in college, ran an amateur team in, in, oh, in Minneapolis fancy. for a long time. So like um, over at Parade Stadium, I love being down at Parade Stadium and seeing people, just people that love baseball playing. Yeah. Um, I love being at Target Field and watching the Twins. I love to be, uh, I love to be by the Mississippi River, you know, just walking in one of the like, you know, in the in the parks down there, the state park. Yeah, it's else. gorgeous. Yeah, so. it is. I mean, the Twin Stadium is one of my favorites. Yeah, it's a <laughs> I fun love going place over to, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my son uh, started playing baseball last year, and kind of really got into it this year. Yeah, and uh, I mean, he played, he played spring, he played in some state tournament he played fall ball like he's yeah. super into it now he's, he's on his way yeah yeah baseball and i i never uh really had so much of an appreciation for baseball until i got to watch him play i played myself in you know junior high or yeah um and and liked baseball well enough but now i really like to go watch those yeah. games it's a lot yeah. of fun it's it, i i love i love the game um i love that you can be a you know, a normal sized person and really You're excel right. at it. Yes. I mean, like I, exactly. I've loved playing all sorts of different sports. Um, you know, and you get up next to a, a an NBA player or a college basketball player. I mean, there, there's a different size of human. Yeah. I'm a normal size. <laughs> like there's a reason human. I can't play. NFL players are gigantic. Like, <laughs> yeah. so Enormous. Like, Football uh, is definitely not my game. That's uh, for sure. <laughs> so I love, I love that there, you know, that there's a, a different application of, of a way to be really, uh, athletic and quick t- twitch and and yeah. sort of coordinated and right. and express it in a different way. It's fun. Yep. It's, um, it's a and it's a good lifelong sport. You can play. You know, you can play it for a long time. Yeah. Um, enjoy it even in, as you get older. And, yeah. Yeah. And it's community based. We've got uh, our friend Darren Troval is big into the into baseball. Oh, yeah. And just like you know, an adult men's league traveling around the state. Yeah. And yeah. playing in all these small towns yeah. out in the country. That's I've really been fun. screamed at in Red Wing. I've been screamed at in <laughs> Dundas. I yeah, love it. That's like, good Cannon stuff. Falls, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's oh, a nice way to, to find your way to small communities that you otherwise wouldn't necessarily yeah. hit. Right. So. Yeah, absolutely. All right, in the final, final moments here, uh, is there anything that you would like to – I mean, you're not – necessarily like our usual guests sometimes they have some self-promotion they need yeah. to do you've got your music stuff but is there anything you want to sort of plug or tell people before you no you know i out? i'm really grateful for the opportunity to visit with yeah. you all and i'm i'm grateful for your curiosity about the foundation uh it's i it's fun to be with people that are thinking about community and i've spent a lot of my life and my career thinking about you know just how to um how to bring benefit and joy to others. And so if you are hearing this wherever you are in the world, I hope you try to bring a little joy to somebody. Yeah. Oh, that's quite nice. It's awesome. <laughs> it's great. Well, this, Thank you. We didn't yeah. know what this was when we started out, but this is your yet another in a line of fantastic guests that it, is really trying to do good it, in the world. It's so amazing. I mean, I love this interaction with the community. I do. Yeah. I, I, you know, this having 
folks come in and having a just a conversation and learning about who we live with. Yeah, you know, is is really an amazing thing. Yeah, it's yes, a and, place. and the foundation is also. I mean, that's great. I mean, you're quite the contributor. I, you know, I, I mean, you really are. I'm a small part. I mean, it's <laughs> well, you may Humble. be, but you, you, you're pretty uh, humble, Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, he can't praise himself at no all. no that would <laughs> be it. not minnesota no, so <laughs> so we'll praise you yeah. yes uh, yeah and and as sarah points out and i you know i always forget to do this but uh if you'd like to be a guest on the show or if you know of someone who you think should be a guest on the show you can reach us at uh info at legacy matters podcast.com so there, right, you there you go all right paul thanks a lot thank paul. you yeah so thanks much. for having me okay All right, everyone, thanks for listening. We love comments and feedback, so go ahead and let us have it. If you'd like to learn more about Andalin and other legacy projects, visit the website at andalin.app or kineticlegacy.us. Take care. Mm-hmm.